Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. This is your host, Dalton Dismore, and this is The Faith Prospect. Today we are joined by DJ Hill. He is the uh, promotions director for the youth ministries of the United Pentecostal Church. He's also a very good friend, and I knew him way back when he was an intern and Urshan student at Dallas First Church. Yeah, man, incredible times, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Man, Dallas First Church was some fun years, two years of being there, uh, incredible leader and Pastor Foster, Sister Kim's brother Oliver, brother Brietto, uh, all of them. So many great people, and man, we loved having you. Yeah. Um, now, when that was, what, 20... 15? It was a year after Brother Andrew Lucas, also an incredible leader. So it was 2012. Oh, wow. The, the summer of 2012 and summer of uh, 23. Wow, 13. man. So when you came to Dallas First Church, that was right. That was after your first year at Urshan, right? Yep, correct. And uh, how long had you, you know, I know you've you've told me a little bit about your story, but when, when did you first come to church? Like when did? So interesting, um, my father and mother met uh, in Germany. She's from Germany. He was stationed there in the military. And so they actually got in a church there. And then shortly after, uh, getting into church, they moved to the States to Oklahoma where I was born. And then we went to Maryland and then we ended up in Fort Benning, Georgia. So Columbus, Georgia, about two hours South of Atlanta. So I was about uh, six years old and we started to go to church there. And then around the age of eight, uh, tragedy struck my family. And so Church became more of uh, an option and not the center of our life. And so we still kind of went. We went to Sunday school and some events. But uh, the the going to church is different than living according to the word of God. And so we definitely separated from God and didn't really have a relationship with God. And uh, our family was destroyed and ended up in divorce. And so then I got away from God personally. I wasn't really going to church consistently. And then... Um, if I did go, I was cold, sitting in the back, more just going to hang out, play basketball or anything. And then at 16, someone convinced me to go to youth camp. And Brother Luke Levine uh, preached that camp. And it was an incredible move of God that first night, preached on repentance. So I went and repented. Uh, I cried and then kind of got done, didn't really stay there too long. And one of our elders from Georgia District said, God's not done with you yet. Go back and uh, you know seek the face of God. Go get alone." And so I stayed for over an hour in the altar uh, off to the left. I still remember that spot. And I go there randomly when I go and visit the Georgia campgrounds. And my life was completely changed. I kind of forgave people, let go of the bitterness and resentment. Later on that week, uh, during one of his sermons, I felt a call to ministry. So I went home and I just started to serve. I became an assistant Sunday school teacher, took out the trash, helped in media, just any, any place available. I just wanted to serve. And that's what ministry is and was. Um, and then... Eventually, um, two years later at camp, uh, they was given out a free shirt. Gateway College of Evangelism, which is now Urshan College, was given out a free shirt. And they said, you have to fill out those little information cards. So I did. And uh, I didn't win the shirt. I won some old CD. I was pretty upset about that. <laughs> but they started bombarding my mailbox with Preview Weekend. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to Preview Weekend. And all of my friends thought it was so funny because yeah. they was like, this guy's Bible college. I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know what you learn there or what do you do there. And uh, so these elders thought I was serious. So they started giving me money. So I was like, well, there's probably basketball and there's probably girls at college. So I'll go there. <laughs> and so it was April of my senior year. 
And I went to Bible college uh, the preview weekend. Brother Paul Pamer preached, it's time to move. And I gave him, you know, gave my life over to ministry and said, I was going to go to secular college, be a financial advisor and had a couple other plans. But uh, I switched my, you know, plans that April right before I graduated. And then I came to Urshan College. And while I was sitting there at Urshan College, I remember one service I was sitting with Cullen on the left side, probably third or fourth pew. And I was struggling saying, you know, I, I know I'm called to ministry and I'm serving, but I don't. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, you have your life figured out. You, you're talented and gifted. And, man, you're just so far ahead of me. What am I supposed to do? Why am I even here? He said, go to the altar one more time. And when I did, that's when uh, I felt a call to preach and a few other things that God gave me that, uh, you know, I kind of just kept. So that's that's a little bit of my story in a 10,000-foot uh, view in just a few moments. Okay. So, um, and there's a couple things I want to unpack there. Yeah. So let's, let's start with... Uh, you know, that period of time whenever uh, your family had distanced itself from the church, mm-hmm. were there ever any times where you felt God calling you back, but you didn't, you didn't answer? I would, I would say maybe, but it was, it was honestly such a blur because of the lifestyle uh, I was living. My dad continued to go to church regularly and mm-hmm. he was serving in different capacities there. But um, I would say it was just such a blur. Like there was no accountability. Uh, I wasn't always at home. Mm-hmm. for weeks I would go and stay with a friend. And so there was, um, and that, and that was just life the way it happened, unfortunately. And I love my parents, but I was just kind of on my own. So maybe God was drawing me back, but I don't remember a moment of, man, I, I need to go back to church or I need to forgive. I was just, I was so wrapped up in anger and bitterness and violence and just the chaos of the world at that time. And yeah. my life was going nowhere very, very fast. Some of my friends uh, from that time, uh, some have passed away, uh, some are in jail, some are still just doing nothing with their lives, haven't gone anywhere and just destroyed their lives. And uh, so maybe God, I would say God was, he's always calling us back. I wasn't open to it. I would say that. Yeah. And that's interesting. You said that, you know, some of your friends have passed away uh, from that time period, you know, COVID and everything we've had, how many funerals we've been to uh, at our church and. I feel like a theme with people in the world is, you know, that everyone's going to heaven, yeah. you know, that, you know, their, their friend who was involved in, and I'm, I'm not get, making any assumptions. You're just saying that you were living a violent life and, you know, my friend that was in, involved in X, Y, Z and they're gone and, you know, I'll see you in heaven one day. Yeah. And it's just a crazy thing that, that people don't, they don't understand like what, what it means to, to, I don't want to you know, qualify to go to heaven, but yeah. you know. Yeah, there's definitely not an urgency in heaven or a reality in hell uh, anymore. And it's really unique because there's two sides of the fallacy that either everyone's going to heaven or we're un- unhealthily mournful that we want them to stay on earth. Mm-hmm. Like if they're living for God, obviously I want, I want my brothers and sisters, I want to enjoy the world with them. But I love what Brother Tinney said on his deathbed. He said, don't mourn for me. I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. Yeah. And so I think I think we we need to go deeper into the word of God to have a correct theology of suffering and a correct theology of death. Mm. I think that's really missing from the church because we're trying to placate to everybody and just make everyone feel good at funerals and then at the same time we we mourn too long or too much and we don't celebrate a life of a disciple of Jesus Christ and a Christian 
that has ran their race, kept the faith, fought the good fight, and now is, uh, you know, on the other side. And so uh, it, it definitely is a unique season of people trying to bring, keep people here and mm-hmm. or put people there. Yeah. So do you remember when you first had that realization of, um, you know, the reality of, of hell and heaven and, and what it means to, to go either, either place? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I would say in all the pain of, of my life and, and I can't blame others for it. I caused a lot of it as well. Like, you know, I can't, I can't choose what people do to me, but I can choose how I react. And though it helps if they're doing good things to me, it helps me to react good. But at the end of the day, I, I definitely allowed the open door and walked through the open door to create even more chaos in my own life. So, um, to your question, yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, yeah. Uh, reword your question one more time and I'll answer it. I'll loop back to it. <laughs> so do you, re- do you remember when it like clicked? Oh yeah. The reality, the reality of it. Yeah. I would say so I, in the, in the suffering that I cause and others cause, I wanted to qualify that cause I don't want to point fingers at everybody in the re- in the, in the pain I realized in hell, it's so sad because you don't have the presence of God. Yeah. Imagine the suffering you're going through now. And that's, that's what the burden to win souls and make disciples is right now is because imagine if I went through all that I've went through and I have not had God imagine, you know, miscarriages without the assurance and a hope of Jesus. Imagine, uh, uh marital issues without the assurance and hope in Jesus. So that, that really sparked the reality of hell to me is all this suffering pales in comparison to hell because more than just all the suffering, you don't have God to help get you through that because you've denied God. And then the reality of heaven also was real in that same moment because in all the suffering, there's, there's always a hope, even though sometimes I don't always grasp it or uh, obey the word to get that hope or to live in that hope. There is that hope that's there. There's that grace that's sufficient for the day. And in heaven, the only scars that are going to be there is the hands of Jesus. Yeah. It, you know, it, and that's metaphorical. And there's a song about it, which is really cool. I heard at a funeral, but it's the reality of heaven that it's going to be this wonderful place with no more tears, no more worries. Mm. And it's all going to be worth it. Yeah. It's like winning a championship game or getting that paycheck. All your hard work is worth it in that moment. And, and the discipline and the pain and the ups and the downs and the roller coaster of emotions, it's all worth it when you get to hold that trophy and that much more when you get to heaven. So I would say that's when heaven and hell kind of got real to me is um, I remember one night I, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, so I had to spend the night in places I didn't want to spend the night and it, it rocked me. And I was like, this is, this is where my life is headed. And I'm going to have to live here. If I continue in this uh, crazy lifestyle of just being, you know, dumb and not making wise decisions or surrounding myself with good people. So uh, in that moment, I was like, I can't imagine going through this without God, but I also can imagine what it's going to be like because I'm going to live for God. So was this moment, uh, did this happen after, you know, you said you were 16 when you got invited to the youth camp or, and, you know, you repented. Was this moment during that time after or? So it was kind of before. So I got, I got in trouble with, uh, with the law. And, um, not, you know, in, not a felony or anything like that, but I got in trouble with the law and uh, a couple, a few times actually. And so during that time, uh, I was on the basketball team and everything was just kind of coming to a spearhead. And I was getting to some big moments in my life of, you know, sophomore, junior year, what am I doing with my future? Yeah. Who, you know, 
where's life going? And I was going the wrong way. And then that after that basketball season, that was the summer that I went to uh, youth camp. So it was all, it was kind of all in that same year, that year, wow. 15, 16 years old is when uh, I, I'd made a lot of those huge strides. I actually held myself back in high school. Uh, my first years of high school, I failed seven of 16 classes. Wow. Uh, whether it's just because I was always in ISS or suspended or skipping school and just, you know, that was once again, the chaos I was causing. And so I held myself back and transferred to a Christian school because I, I wanted to better my education. I wanted to surround myself with different friends and different influence. Uh, I wanted to get some of those classes and credits back so that I can actually go to college and do something instead of uh, not be able to graduate or hold myself back in that same environment. And so, um, yeah. And, and then, you know, I was already in church at that point when I graduated at 19, but at 18, I remember going to the public high school, Hardaway High School, where I uh, went my first three years of high school. And I remember sitting at graduation and seeing all my friends walk across the stage in 2010. And yeah. I'm still in high school. Wow. And I was already living for God, but it wasn't like, man, I'm an idiot. I held, uh, I failed. I'm a horrible person. I was thankful because I know I wouldn't have walked with them if I stayed in that environment. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it, it was all in those years of 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, where I had to make some really tough decisions. I had to change a lot of friendships, change lifestyles, uh, give up a lot of stuff, be accountable to a lot of things. And that's really what, uh, did a lot of changes in my life. So you kind of already, uh, you just you kind of just alluded to it, but you know the next question I had was during those years, um, you know, sixteen and nineteen. I'm sure you had times where you felt you felt old, some of the old stuff pulling you back. What did you do to, you know, I guess combat that? Yeah. So the first is you have to have a, a resolve that this is what you're going to do. You have to have your mind made up. And um, I, I like what Brother Doug White once preached about the measure of God's mercy and. You're, you might fall, but which direction are you falling? Are you falling away from God? Or are you falling in the arms of God, falling towards God? And so that kind of, that kind of principles, I would say I, at 16, I made, made up my mind. Uh, you know, my mom wasn't in church and so yeah, no one was forcing me to do anything. I made up my mind to do it. And so, um, I really just had that resolve to go after God with everything I have and dedicate my life to him. And then second would be accountability. Um, Josh Wilson, he's a few years older than me, probably, probably eight, nine years older than me. I, I really started spending a lot of time with him on weekends and even during the weekday. And through that accountability of getting some older guys around me that could help me and call me out and, you know, be those boundaries. That's really what helped me is resolve that I wanted it for myself. And then number two is having good people around me to help guide me uh, to make the right decisions. I forget which leadership principal, probably like John Maxwell or Patrick Lencioni or Kerry Newhoff. But they said you're the average of the three to five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. And and that that's really true. When I started changing who my friends were because I had that resolve, I that accountability helped me to be better. Mm. So when speaking on that, how did you how did you figure out who these people were gonna be? Did did they just did God just kind of place them and put them in place or did, did were there things that you were thinking of and who you wanted to, to be around? Um, I would definitely say it wasn't super intentional. I mm -hmm. think uh, we over spiritualize stuff sometimes by over spiritualize. That's a that's a probably a wrong term, but we uh, wrongfully spiritualize stuff. I think yeah. sometimes I know sometimes the practical is the spiritual. For instance, the Bible says I shouldn't go to a girl's house at 3 a.m. 
but practically that's not wise, and, <laughs> which is spiritual. Yeah. And so I think they're, they're connected. And so practically speaking, I, I looked at different people that could help me that I wouldn't mind being like that cared about me, mm-hmm. that didn't, um, you know, that believed in me, but that also told me no. And that also told me you're wrong. And those people is what I looked up to, uh, including like my basketball coach at the time. So those kind of people is kind of, it was more of a practical thing than an intentional sit down and meditate on who, who should be a mentor or who should be like a big brother or an accountability. It was more, I know these people will be consistent with me and that's, that's what I need. Gotcha. So, uh, you said that you looked. one of the things you looked for was people that told you no. Mm -hmm. Now as a man, um, and I guess as a human being, uh, I don't particularly like being told no, Yeah. even, even when I know it's good for me. So, um, how did you, how'd you get to that place where you were cool with that? Like, I mean, I guess, you know, there, there's people, I guess that probably struggle here and that. Yeah. 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 So, and this is going to be very pointed, go for it. But my spirit, you know, hopefully you get my spirit. I think it comes from a place of insecurities when you can't be told no. It's same for me. That's for most people. Yeah. And that's not everybody. You can't, I don't like umbrella statements per se, but uh, if someone tells you, no, it's a place of insecurity, lack of trust and real like alpha males or somebody who's confident in themselves, they can be told no. And that's fine. Like, um, because it actually like Michael Jordan, for instance, his teammates telling him no or standing up to him. Like I remember there was a story of maybe Steve Kerr punched him or something like somebody like that, like just in the middle of practice went up and punched him. And Michael Jordan was like, all right. And from that moment on, Michael respected him because he stood up for himself. And so I think, I think real, real men or healthy men, let me say it that way, healthy men, uh, they're willing to be confident enough for someone to tell them no and that they're wrong or you're doing the wrong thing, uh, which is the same, like asking directions. We don't like that. It's like an old joke. And now we have like, you know, phone. So it's not, the joke's kind of irrelevant, but you can do it without people looking. Yeah. Back in the day with maps, we'd be like, Oh, I know where I'm going. And the joke was husbands don't like to ask anybody for directions or stop to ask for directions. Well, I think it's because they're not confident. They think, Oh, their wives think they're stupid. Or the person's like, Oh, you're an idiot. But in reality, healthy men are like, I don't know where I'm at and I don't have to know everything. Who says I have to, I'm, I'm confident in who I am, my abilities, my giftings. For instance, I don't know how to, uh, do a lot of electric work. And my wife wanted some new fixtures in the bathroom. Well, I can be a man. Oh, I'm going to fix the light and electrocute myself and burn my house down. <laughs> or I can be confident enough that, Hey, I might not do electric, but I know other things and that's fine. So I'm going to ask somebody who knows how to do electric work to come and help me. Yeah. And that, that comes from a place of health and a good mindset and a good confidence. And so the opposite, I think is true that if, if you're, if you can't handle no, it's because you don't trust the leader. You're insecure in yourself. You have something to prove, and and that's from unhealthiness. Mm. So, what would the next steps be for somebody who maybe's listening to this and realizes, huh? You know, I'm I am insecure. You know, and I don't like being told no, but and I want to be better. I just don't know how. I would say go to the leader and tell them that. Um, I okay. So it, to make it real. Brother Cressman, literally one of the best things that's ever happened in my life. Easily top five things. Brother Cressman, top five things. Holy Ghost, Brother John's my wife. Brother Cressman's in that list. Like he's just undeniably one of the most impactful things in my life. 
I had to, I had to learn that he would tell me no. And I wouldn't listen. And it wasn't until I told him, you know what, like I'm struggling to listen to you. And through those conversations of me learning why and me articulating why to him, I got better at it. And because I got better now, he can tell me no. And I listen. So, but once again, that comes from a place of, I have to be real with myself and healthy enough to say, I am insecure. I feel insufficient. And in that I can go get help. It's the same like asking for directions. I have to be real with myself. I think too many times we as men try to be bravo and macho, and that's not what God calls us to. He doesn't call us to to conquer everything. We want to be conquerors and problem solvers, but sometimes the way to actually solve a problem or to conquer is to get help. Yeah. Is to not do it on your own. Um, because that's actually you actually win that way by doing it with others. And so uh you now let's say you know you're you're at Urshan and uh you you really um you know you said that you you had that moment where God was calling you to do to do things um how did you how did you respond to that at school oh i put my all into it so i um even before school i remember paul pamer at the last youth youth uh, event in georgia district he during the altar call, he preached the unsearchable God. During the altar call, he sits down with me and starts to uh, tell me about Bible college and some of the things that could happen from it and how I need to be, be focused and don't don't be mediocre and those kind of things. And so I left my TV and all video games at the house because I said, I want to dedicate as long as I'm there, the beginning of ministry for me, that cultivating years, I want to give it all as much as I can to learning. And so that that came from discipline, just like basketball. I want to, I want to give my all. So at school, I really didn't just always play video games or hang out in the dorms. Now we did that. I had a blast. Like I had a great four years of school. I was involved in so many things, but I made sure to study as much as I could read as much as I can, because I never get that time back. Now that I'm married and even have a kid, I don't have the same amount of time to just sit and do nothing yeah, and just waste time. And so instead of just wasting time, I, I did my best to use that to develop myself uh, to be the best I can for God, to give God more to work with. Yeah. So, uh, speaking about that, man, there's, there's so many things and I want to ask you about your time at school. Yeah. One, Cause you know, we both went to Urshan together right. and I'm, and you know, we both know that there, there are a lot of people that, that waste time there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate, which is everywhere. Not and it's just, everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. But, um, we both saw it at Urshan. Uh, now that, I do kind of want to change the subject a little bit. That's so fine. when, when you first got there, you know, or I believe that wearing a suit was mandatory yeah. at, at Urshan. Yeah. I've heard a story. Oh, uh, yep. What, what did you wear to class? So I only had like a, a couple of suits. One was black. One was red, like red, like Kool-Aid red, like deep red. <laughs> and I wore it with a red shirt and a red tie and uh, yeah, it was bad. Red Converse. Yeah, I don't. Who let me out the dorm room like that? I have no idea. And then another outfit I had because you had to wear a suit was uh, an old Uncle Sam outfit. So stars and striped pants, and or uh, white white and red striped pants, and then stars uh, vest and long coat. And so there's actually pictures on Facebook. So I went to class a few times in that because that's what I had to wear. So yep. Did you ever get in trouble for that? No, because it was a suit. You know, it wasn't. Uh, the most ideal suit for sure, but it, it was a suit and you know, they, it was what it was. <laughs> oh man, that's great. Oh. oh, that's great. 
So, and then I realized I could, I was the same body uh, size as Cullen Cressman, my brother. And so then I just started going in his room wearing his clothes and it all worked out. That like works. legitimately for like half a year, I wore Cullen's clothes that all works. the time. So, so, um, something just came back to my mind. Uh, and I think it'd be a good place to go. I remember going to your, your dorm room mm -hmm. uh, when you were in school and you had this shirt nailed up on the wall. Can you, can you tell us about that? So once again, back to the Luke Levine camp. So it was probably the last night and uh, brother Levine comes up to me before the service during, you know, the prayer time and all the announcements and stuff. He says, uh, can you help me during the sermon? I was like, yeah, what do you mean? He says, well, I'll tell you later, but are you good? Like, no matter what it is, I was like, yeah, I got you. Like, I don't care. I was crazy. So that was fine. <laughs> he said, all right, take your shoes off your belt, empty your pockets, take your tie off and your jacket off. Or I didn't even have a jacket, take your tie off. And I was like, okay. And so I'm sitting there with no belt, no shoes, nothing in my pockets and my ties off. And I'm like, what's going on? So he preached the story of David and his anointing. And really that, that spoke to me because my name's David. Not a lot of people know that they, everyone knows me as DJ. And the only time I hear the name David is graduation. When I got ordained uh, in ministry, they, they call me by my full name mm -hmm. in uh, graduation at Urshan when I graduated with my undergrad and my master's degree. And then my wife calls me David occasionally because the only time I hear David is at respectful moments or moments of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And so that really spoke to me uh, because nobody calls me David. Yeah. Like, my parents don't, no one calls me David. And uh, so He's preaching about David, how, you know, his, his family didn't believe in him. He was just kind of isolated on his own, trying to figure it all out. And uh, he had highs and lows, but he did great things for God. He was a man after God's own heart and it all started at the anointing. So he brings me on the platform and he pours five gallons of olive oil on me. Oh, my Lord. Uh, so I'm dripping with olive oil and uh, it was it's pretty humorous looking back in the moment. It was it was just incredible. Like it. I felt a call to, to, to ministry in that moment. Um, I felt a vision from God. And what's really cool is I've seen parts of that vision come to pass already wow. in faces that I would preach to. And that, that's really humbling. That moment, it was kind of like, there's really, there's not many moments in my life that I've felt like that so close to God and his calling and his will. Um, it was just kind of, I got a peek into what God had for me. And, um, it's still all playing out, which is incredible. So in that moment, but at the same time, the humorous part was students. He's like, who wants the anointing? So students are like coming and like wiping the oil off of my face and off my clothes, like wiping it on their head. And it was like, it's it funny looking back. But in that moment, everyone was so hungry for the call of God. And it was just, it was cool to be a part of that. And then afterwards he talked to me and said, you know, I didn't just call you just because you're a random kid. I really did feel like God had something special for you you know, he has a call, he has a call in his hand on your life, go and go and seek that call. And then that's when I, you know, felt the vision from God and everything. And so I kept that shirt oil doesn't wash out. And so, um, brother Levine actually after service is like, that shirt's probably ruined. I'll buy you another one. Let me know your size. And I said, this shirt's more valuable than any shirt you could buy me. I'm good. And so I still have it. And the reason I have it is not because, you know, I want to make a, uh, a statue out of it or something. The anointing is, is spiritual. It's not physical. However, different times in my life, I've, I've taken that shirt down and you could still smell the oil and you could see the discoloration where the oil dripped in certain parts. And I look at it as it's a sign. It's a symbol. It's nothing special about it. If my house burns down and it burns, I'm still anointed. I'm still DJ. I still have the memory. But it is a, it is a special sign to me that I, I keep up in my wall and it's still on my wall at home in my office. Mm. Um, 
of just that first day that even in my low point, even in my brokenness and confusion and stupidity and chaos of life, God was calling somebody that was out in the field that's insignificant and I'm nobody special and anything I do is all because of the grace of God. First uh, Corinthians 15, 10, Paul writes, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I've worked hard, but it's still by God's grace. I paraphrase that last part. And so uh, really that, that shirt is a symbol to me to remind me that I, I'm humbled to serve in the kingdom of God. And it, it's an adventure. It's, it's, a, it's the best opportunity of my life to do something for God. And that shirt reminds me of that first night. I felt that. Um, and most people have like an altar experience or some people have like a journey experience. That was that moment. And that I have a, a physical thing to remember that moment is, is special to me. And me and Brother Levine have a special connection because of that. Wow. And so uh, while you're telling us about all that, you said something that I kind of want to know more about. Mm -hmm. um, you said that you you kind of saw visions of things and, and you've seen some of those come to pass. Like, what what were you talking about? So and visions sometimes, like God doesn't speak to me in that regularly. Mm -hmm. um, I can only remember two times that's happened, but um, th that was one of them that week. And I didn't see the wholeness of it, but different people I would pray for an altar or I'd be at one place. I remember I was at one place and I was about to get up to preach and then like, as I'm praying, all of a sudden I remember that moment. I was like, this is, that was it. Like I was here before, not really, but like that was, that was prophetic and, and God was preparing me for this moment. And so those are special moments and it, it hasn't happened often. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to see everywhere I get to do and every Bible study I get to teach and every student I get to pray for. But, uh, along the way, it's kind of those breadcrumbs. It, it's always cool. Cause it leads it back to that moment of wow, like God, God has my future in his hands. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Um, what would you say is the, like throughout, throughout Urshan and, um, I guess your internships, cause it was during that time. Mm -hmm. What, what's the, what's one of the, I'm not going to say the most because it's hard to narrow yeah. it down, but what's one of the most important things you learned that, that helps you in your ministry right now? So I'll go a quick one and then I'll go like the one that really like helped define me. The first one is it matters who you marry. I learned that after Urshan, but um, it really is true. One pastor came up to me and said, you've preached at my church a few times, but I know for sure what you believe, not because of your sermons, but because of who you married. And you wouldn't have married someone like my wife, Natalie, if you didn't believe what you preach and what the Bible says. Wow. So I think that really matters. You hear that all the time at Urshan. And as a young person, young adult, but you don't, at least for me, I can't speak for everybody. I didn't really understand that until I'm on the other side. Same thing. Like people's like sleep as much as you can before you have a kid. Like I was like, okay, that conceptually makes sense. But now that Kalea is here, yeah. I'm like, I wish I would have understood that because I would have slept all the time. So that was a small one. The big one before, before you go to the big one. Uh -huh. So how did that, uh, thinking about that would you have dated differently while you were at school? That's a dangerous question. Um, <laughs> not, was, and, and to be clear, not, not people wise, but just yeah. like your, your mentality, like maybe, maybe. However, I don't think I would be who I was if I didn't date the way I dated. Okay. So I wouldn't necessarily change it. Um, because also I don't think I would have met Natalie because if I dated like I did after Bible college, and after I grew up and stopped, I was stopped being a dumb idiot. 
then I might have dated different and I wouldn't have Natalie and Kalea. So, you know, that's the what ifs and those are fun questions, but that, that's a hard question. And if I dated differently, like who knows, I might have wasted my time dating more or dating more girls or dating a different girl. And like, who knows how that would have went? Like, I'm, I'm thankful how life went in a lot of ways. I don't have regrets. I wish I would have made different decisions and not hurt people or said things. However, if I dated differently, I think I would have ended up differently. That's fair. Now, so that's, that's a, that's a hard question to say. Like if Natalie was there at that point, then yeah, I wish I would have dated differently. Cause then we could have got married sooner and, you know, enjoyed life sooner. But I definitely wasn't at the place to, to date seriously. I shouldn't have dated at all, honestly, cause I wasn't able to support anybody. I wasn't spiritually able to support anybody. I didn't have true compassion and I wasn't whole myself. I was still dealing with a lot of my own issues. And so there was collateral damage because I wasn't whole. So that's, but that's a separate point. You can't, you shouldn't date unless you're whole yourself. Wow. You know, I was going to ask a follow-up about advice you'd give. Yeah. But honestly, I think that that's, that last little bit, you, Oh yeah. There's a lot in there. And if you're listening, unpack that for yourself. Yep. Um, but what's the, the second thing? So I would say Gavin Cole, um, incredible LJ Harry's youth pastor in Ohio. Uh, he is an incredible guy. We actually get to preach a camp together next year. I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. And so Gavin Cole, my freshman year, you know, a, f a few months in said, what do you feel called to do? I said, I feel a call to preach. And he said, all right, well, it's, it's Thursday. If my pastor calls you now and says, I want you to preach tomorrow night, Saturday, and then two services Sunday, do you have four messages? Are you going to stay on YouTube and steal people's messages? Do your messages make sense or they're just scattered? Are you going to stay up all night putting something together, hoping God blesses it? Or are you going to take people on a journey where the first night you're leading to the second night and the third night and then the fourth message? Or is it just like all over the place? Have you been praying and fasting so that if you get a call, you don't have to sacrifice three goats and two turtle doves and then split them in half and walk between them to get right with God? Like, have you been living the lifestyle? And so he said, before the opportunity comes, you need to be prepared. And so really that, that changed the game because I started to study and I was like, if a, if a, if I'm, if I want to be a youth pastor and a young girl asks me this question about why do they have to dress this way or why can't they date or why can't we partake in this or why, why do we do this? How am I going to answer it? If, if a pastor asked me to teach on the spiritual gifts in first Corinthians 12 through 14, am I able to teach on it? Or am I going to like go listen to brother Bernard all night on YouTube and then just regurgitate what he said? Do I actually understand it? Yeah. Do I believe in it? And so that conversation really changed me because I started to deeply study the word of God even more um, because I was like, if, if, if I want to be used of God, I have to develop and invest these talents, whether I one, two or five talents. If I, if I want to have 15 talents, I got to start investing what I do have. And so I started to just dig in and I would have, I didn't preach half the sermons I created some of the thoughts I look back and I'm like, Oh my goodness. It keeps me humble. It's, it's humorous. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't even know what I was thinking, you know, like, however, it, it really did help me because I started instead of waiting for opportunities and then preparing. And sometimes that happens. God drops a word after an opportunity. And you know, it's this and that I don't think you have to choose one's not better than the other, but I really started to prepare. And what that preparation did is though I haven't preached those sermons the knowledge of spiritual gifts and how to teach holiness and new birth and the oneness of God and relationships and all these biblical principles started to get internalized and rooted into my heart and my mind, which helped me now 
But then not only that, it helped me to develop a, a life and a discipline of study, which has helped me now. Yeah. And so I would say that was one of the big things that helped me in Bible colleges. If you feel a call to do that, why are you not doing it? For instance, you know, if you're going to do uh, surgery on the brain or on the heart, you got to go to school for like 10 plus years after college or after high school. Why is it any different with the word of God, wow. which is so much more important? Um, LeBron James, you know how much time he spends playing basketball and practicing? Why is it any different with the word of God? Not trying to be the best, but this is the most important things, taking people from this world to heaven, making disciples. And so I have to be prepared. I can't wait till someone comes and asks me, well, I don't understand the scripture. Is there only one God? And then I'm like, well, let me Google it real quick because I haven't done any study. Mm-hmm. I need to be prepared beforehand. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved. A workman needeth not rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, needeth not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. So I think uh, I think that's where, that was the game changer for me my freshman year. Is there is there anything that um, you were you were you would change about about your experience at Urshan? Like you would have done something more, or yeah. not done anything? It's actually humorous. I asked this question. Uh, I took a guy out from Urshan today for lunch, and we talked about that. Um, what I would change is my freshman year. I kind of sat in the middle of the room, and I didn't take as many notes. I wish I would have not been more engaged. And it's not about the grades. The grades do, do reflect you know, your intentions and if you actually want to be there and care. And uh, not that you have to make all a hundreds because some people just, they're not that way. And that's okay. Give your best to God. That's what he uh, requires. And that's what we should give them. I wish I would have taken more notes uh, because I have notes from sophomore, junior and senior year, which is really cool because I can look back and get those uh, notes and study and learn and what was I at and see my growth. But my freshman year, I really don't have that. So I would say that. And then number two, um, I would, I would say, I wish I would have loved better. Mm. I, I wasn't whole still and in dating on the basketball court in friendships. I just wasn't always the best friend. I wasn't always Christ-like. Um, so I would, I would change that. I would, I would, and thankfully so many people are merciful and graceful for me. And, and I love my friends from Bible college and we stay in contact but I, I wish I would have treated people way better and loved harder and given more and uh, helped more people than what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And so after you uh, graduated from Urshan, um, how did you figure out your next steps? So actually unique is um, before I graduated, I drove 10 hours to the Georgia campgrounds and got my ministerial license because uh, in order to, do certain things like evangelize and stuff. You need kind of that covering or that, that credibility and accountability, you know, that I've done the work of, uh, of studying and growing. And that's what a license helps you prove. And it shows that it reflects that as well as it gives you an accountability that you're not just a loose cannon or independent and you're just making up stuff and doing whatever because you answer to somebody. So I got my license, uh, my last semester of urchin college and then I went back home to the church that um, I, I grew up in from the age of like seven, six, seven years old when we moved there in Georgia. And I served there for a year and evangelized and then uh, went full time evangelism. And then after that, while I was evangelizing, I was actually driving back from preaching here in St. Louis. And Brother Johns called me and said, I'm not calling a superintendent. I'm calling his pastor. 
and we prayed about it and it, it felt right and it felt of God. And I went to Atlanta West and I love, 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 love Atlanta West Pentecostal Church and the Johns family and all those people. We can spend hours, hours talking about how amazing they are. They're, that's home. That's family. That's home. Uh, incredible people. So that's so to answer your question, how I set myself up is I got uh, accountable, uh, credible, meaning um, I, you walk worthy of your calling. You'll know them by their fruits, uh, test prophets, prove yourself. Those kind of biblical principles. I, I was doing that. I was doing my best to mature and to show that maturity and to lead with humility. And from that, uh, like Proverbs says, my gifts made room for themselves. I don't I've never called a preacher and said, hey, I'm driving through. Can I preach at your church or I've never called anybody saying, hey, I'd love to come hang out with you. Um, I don't remember shaking people's hands to try to get to know the right people. You know, the different opportunities I have, even today, like I can look back and say, I honestly don't know how I got there besides I was just serving. And then somebody called me asking, could I serve in a, this capacity or serve in this capacity? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't never applied. I never flowed to my information. I never tried to do any of that. And so, um, how I, set myself up is during my years at Urshan, I studied and I created capacity for the opportunity before any opportunity came with whatever that was. For instance, I wasn't practicing piano and guitar because I know I'm not musical. So I'm not trying to create the capacity, but I do feel like I'm, and we all are disciple makers. We all should be Bible study teachers and have a disciple. I knew I was going to be preaching. I knew I was going to be leading. And so a lot of the things I was doing, reading and studying uh, was going that direction. And then because I kept growing in those talents that God had given me, whether it was one, two or five, uh, you know, he, he blessed that back and gave me more talents and abilities and it's all by his grace. Wow. So what, what's been a learning moment for you when, um, you know, you're serving at these churches? Uh, what, what was something that you can remember God, God really dealing with you in the moment? The law of unintended consequences. <laughs> okay, explain. Brother Johns. So, okay, um, let's make up a hypothetical. I, um, there's a little kid crying on, on, a, on a plane. We're going we're gonna to fly back home to go to Dallas, me and you tomorrow. Okay, let's make that up. Cool. And there's a kid crying, and I look at the mom, and I say, can you tell that kid to shut up? And the mom's like, we're actually flying back from his dad's funeral. So my, what I wanted, my goal was for the kid to stop talking or to stop crying and for it to be quiet and be in, you know, a flight, which let kids be kids. That's, you know, this is all hypothetical. That was the goal. However, the unintended consequence is now the mother is angry or sad or even more broken and it makes the flight even harder. And then other people around me, they're like, oh, aren't you a preacher? And then the unintended consequences, it's a ripple effect and you see how far it goes. So how you talk to people, who you date, what you say, what you post, what you like, what you share, the unintended consequences. Because once again, like even people are going back 10 years on Twitter and people are getting fired and they're getting canceled and all that stuff, which is a different subject. But they didn't intend that to happen. They had one intention, but there's unintended consequences that you haven't thought of. And so I would say that's a big thing as, as, a, as a young man. Uh, I would just YOLO, just live in the moment, say whatever, watch whatever, do whatever, you know. But there's a lot of unintended consequences that come with that. And we think it will never happen to me. But you can get in a car accident from texting and driving. If you don't wear your seatbelt, 
that might not be your your intention to get injured from it. But if you get in a car accident, what can happen? And it's unintended consequences. And when they come for you, they hit hard. Mm. And uh, so I would say, I wish I would have learned that a long time ago, but thank God for grace. Thank God for men of God that helped me and disciplined me. And I had to submit to, I got to submit to, uh, that helped me get through some of those unintended consequences. Have you ever been a casualty of, un- of unintended oh, yeah. action? Oh yeah. Unintended. Con- oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, people would say things and, and, uh, it wasn't their intention and it, it harmed me and I had to forgive because ultimately that's what the Bible says. And, you know, reconcile that relationship, not meaning we had to be best friends, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's a few different times in life where things have been said or done and it wasn't the intention, but the consequence hurt deep, but the, you know, that's, that's where grace is extended. Yeah. Is there any, um, and is there any, any one of those situations you'd be comfortable talking about? Um, so when someone had an unintended consequence and it hurt me, um, yeah, I, okay, so I'll, I'll say one, um, one, one man of God was um, somewhere in America, one man of God was pouring into a young man, and I was really hungry, once again, at Bible college, I wasn't whole, I was raw, uh, really, really jagged around the edges. And so someone else is getting not opportunity, but investment and mm. in hindsight, I'm thankful it wasn't, but in the moment it felt like I was being neglected because I wasn't good enough. Or I didn't have this or I didn't have that. And, uh, it, it really did hurt and it was unintended. It wasn't, it wasn't intentional and in hindsight it, I, I can almost agree with that person that I want to invest in this person because of a certain relationship. And that's, that's fine. I, I don't, I don't knock that do for one, what you wish you could do for all. But in the moment, it, it was a lot of uh, confusion of feeling like I'm not good enough because I'm not being invested in, but this other person is because of their relationship. And I didn't have the privilege and I, you know, that's a buzzword now. I hate that word almost, but I didn't, I wasn't in a position to have that relationship, which I took it upon. I interpreted that wrongfully as, um, you know, I'm not good enough or I'm not going to be invested in. How did you, how did you deal with that? Uh, The Bible in Matthew 18, it says, if you have ought against your brother, go to him and make it right. So that's the first thing. Second is um, I had to understand that my sufficiency comes from God and in my uh, weakness, his strength is made perfect. And though men helped me, Brother Johns, Brother Cressman, Brother Ryan Franklin, Cullen, uh, those those men, I call them my knights of the round table, my life team, though they help me, it's only because God threw them that they helped me. Yeah. So my sufficiency comes from God. So it might not come from person A, it might come from person B, or it might be in a season where I'm in a wilderness or I have to dig it out myself or God's saying, are you trusting in this man? Or are you going to trust in me? Wow. And uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. So I would say how I got over it is I had to say, God, I'm just going to dig in. And I'm thankful I did because if I didn't, I might have been dependent on that person or that relationship to try to get me to the, to the next step instead of relying on God and my relationship with God. That doesn't mean get rid of your pastor by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm saying sometimes you might not feel like you're being invested in as much as others. But once again, that's okay because there's going to be a prophet, David, that comes and anoints you or that helps you along the way. 
and there's going to be mighty men that serve underneath you while you're running in caves. However, you, at times when you're in the shepherd or at times when you're in the cave by yourself or at the time after you make a mistake, you might feel alone and you might be alone, but you have God in the in-between times and during all the time. So I would say I had to learn to rely on God, and I think that's what God was teaching me in that moment now that I look back. But in the moment, I felt like I wasn't being invested in. And so unintended consequences. And that wasn't, once again, it wasn't intended. It wasn't in like, oh, I'm evil. I hate that guy. It was just, you know, I'm investing and I misinterpreted it. Yeah. And so, you know, now obviously, you know, you've, um, you know, you're in St. Louis, you're married, even have a little, little baby and she's one of the cutest babies I've ever seen. She's a doll. Thank God for a pretty wife. (laughs) Um, has there been anything that, that you've gone through as, you know, a husband or, or a father that that you really learned a different level of your relationship with God? Oh, yeah. Having, getting married and then uh, having a child, I feel like I've grown in God both of those major milestones. Um, marriage, I would say, is a mirror. And I'm not a marriage counselor. I don't have it all together. Believe me, I'm not going to act. I don't like, once again, I don't, I'm not an electrician, so I don't know how to put a light in. I'm not a marriage guru, so I'm still figuring it out and we're working together and keeping God at the center of it. And we have a great marriage. Um, I'm glad the honeymoon phase is over because now we get to live in real life. And I realized the beauty of my wife outside of just the, oh, we're on vacation for a week, getting to have fun and, and, you know, enjoy sightseeing and stuff. Now I get to see the day to day beauty and consistency of a godly woman. That is amazing. Amazing. So, um, I would say marriage really is a mirror and I realize the selfish tendencies and the uh, different things that I need to work on in myself. And because of marriage, me and God and I have worked on those things. Thankful for my wife and different times where I've done something wrong or said something with a wrong tone or wasn't forgiving or whatever it is. It it helped me to be more like Christ to, to grow closer to Christ and to exemplify uh, a, a biblical man. Mm. Um, and then even having a kid is uh, man, like I'm in charge of this soul. Like I'm in charge of Natalie, but Natalie's she's going to live for God. She loves God. Kyle has like, she was born and what she knows depends on what Natalie and I teach her Yeah, and what environment we allow her to be in. And so like the, she has this little teddy bear that sings. If you're happy, you know, it clap your hands. Well, when anytime she hears music, she raises her hands. Because wow. she's in church so much, she sees people raise their hands. So in her mind, and because the music we listen to is hand-raising music, in her mind, music equivalates to worship. Wow. And so as a father, the weight and responsibility that that I have for my daughter has brought me closer to God because I need God to help me do it right. I can't, I can't give it. I can't do it right without him. And so it's made me get closer to God by having a wife and having a daughter because I can't do it without him. So we're coming, we're, we're getting close to the end here. Uh, and I just have, you know, a couple questions that I, I like to ask everyone that comes on. Um, what is like one memory, one thing that you event or miracle, however you, you, you describe it, that like that you, the biggest thing that you feel like God either used you for or let you be a part of, or, or that you witnessed so I would say I'll do three short stories. The first one is one time in an altar, 
I was praying years, 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 years ago. I think it, I think it was even before Bible college, honestly. It was before Bible college. Um, I was praying, and I was like, God, are you even real? And legitimately, within seconds, this random guy, I know who he is, but he's not like the pastor. I'm not screaming. He comes up to me, just taps me on the shoulder as he's walking by the altar. People are praying. Everything's going on. And he says, I'm so thankful God's real. And then kept walking. And that was a big moment because I was like, all right. Got it. Like <laughs> that was cool. Um, one mo- uh, no, so that was one impactful moment. One miracle I was involved in. And then I'll do one miracle that I got to witness that I wasn't necessarily involved in. I was preaching a youth rally and um, a youth week, and everything led up to this last service, repentance and forgiveness, all these different messages, and it led up to uh, in these sides shall follow greater works than these shall you do. John fourteen twelve, and then Mark sixteen is great. Uh, these sides shall follow. And I said, um, who wants to receive the Holy Ghost? Who's in need of healing? So all these people raised their hands. And I said, I'm not praying for you. These students are because they've been pr- uh, praying and fasting for months for this weekend. And they have the faith now. And they realize that it's not for an adult. It doesn't matter your age. And so I said, these students are going to pray for people. And everyone's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, well, it's easy to blend in an altar call. Let's let's do it live. And so I, asked, I said, who has a physical thing that we could see or notice a notable change? So a lady came up and her uh, wrist was sprained and she couldn't, it was immobile. She couldn't move it. She had a brace on all that. So I said, can we pray with you? And she said, yes. So I told these two young ladies, I said, come pray with her. I didn't pray with her. I prayed, you know, distance, but I didn't lay hands on her. I didn't do anything special. The students had faith. And I was like, God, heal her in the name of Jesus. And they're praying. And then everyone's like, yeah. And I was like, well, that's still easy. We have to, we have to test it. I said, take off your brace. And I was like, you know, are you willing to do that? She was like, yeah, let's do it. So she took off her brace and she started to move it. And then I said, all right, hit, hit yourself like hard. And so she like smacked her, smacked her arm and um, I was moving it. And she was like, there's no pain. The place went berserk. And all the students are like, ah. Wow. And so all these people are getting prayed for. Some guy like two rows from the back coming up, like he, he raised his hand, but was like, didn't come to the front. I think he was newer. And some students went back there like piranhas and it was like, come on in Jesus. Name. And <laughs> he received the Holy ghost and it was just an That's incredible awesome. weekend. So that was, um, that was one thing I was a part of. And then I would say, um, one, one thing that I saw that was, that was impactful, that was miraculous is I would say, um, at a specific altar call students, just loving and praying for each other. Mm. I think I think we we look for some of the bigger moments that we don't realize that us just being here is miraculous. Yeah. Like God is here right now because we're gathered together in his name Dalton. Yeah. And so and I see that often and I think that's what's so beautiful is students or people seeking the face of God. Eternity touching temporal And I never want to lose that. I never want to lose preaching and the excitement of preaching. I never want to be like, man, I don't really want to preach or man. And, you know, obviously we're flesh and we get tired and sick. I get all that. But I I never want to lose the amazement of seeing people pray. Like we're talking to God. I never want to lose the amazement that I get I get to be a vessel and preach God's word. I get to teach a Bible study to my neighbor. I never I never want to lose the amazement when someone's like, oh, so there's only one God. Look at the scripture and that light bulb goes off. I never want to lose the amazement and it just to be symbolic or watered down, no pun intended, when someone's baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of their sins. 
I don't ever want to feel casual in an altar call when someone has tears streaming down their face and they repent and all of heaven's rejoicing. I never, that's miraculous. We, you know, I've gotten to see some notable miracles, notable miracles. But I think one of the, the coolest miracles is that he's Emmanuel, God with us, that in his mercy, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and that he wants a relationship with you, with me and with everyone listening. That's miraculous that he's given us a word to be able to live for him and to, to help others get in a covenant relationship with him. That's miraculous that, that I get to be a part of that, that I get to pray with my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's miraculous that Sunday we're going to worship God together. That's miraculous. I don't want to get lost in searching for big moments. Miracle signs and wonders will follow this and that we need both. But for me, Seeing students, a group of 15, the other day I got to be in Ohio, seeing 15 students praying well, well after the altar call is done and they're playing a track, MP3 track now, and they're seeking the face of God together and they're crying and doing the, the ugly cry. <laughs> I never want to look at that and then just go to eat and be like, oh, that was cool. That's so miraculous. That God is coming to us and we're coming to God. When we draw near to God, God draws near to us. That is so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And so I never want to lose that. Can you pray with us right now? I, I really feel like I I really feel God moving here. And I, and I want you to, to, to pray for us before we go. Yeah. Well, pray blessings over you. In the name of Jesus, I pray right now for everybody listening that we don't get so caught up in the the big that we forget the small that we don't, even in our testimony, my story is different than a lot of people. My wife never held a guy's hand or even kissed a guy until we were seriously dating and almost engaged with pastoral and father permission. That's an incredible story. I want Kalei to have that story. Let's not get so caught up in the 30 minute big story that we forget the consistent small things that seem so mediocre, but they're so important. So I pray that you can help all of us, to love the small things, to love the daily prayer, to daily read the word of God, that that we're talking to you, God. Help us to, to be amazed by that again, that every service, every opportunity to do a Bible study, to share our faith, to show the love of God, that that is so awesome to be a part of. We're your children. We're called out of darkness to proclaim your praises. So I pray that you can once again blow our minds with that reality. Pray that you can help us to, to prepare ourselves and invest those talents before any opportunity might come. And yes, we're going to prepare after certain opportunities come. We have to learn and study for that specific opportunity. But even before it, that we do everything we can to be prepared to, to invest the one, two, or five talents, or however many you've given us, in the small things. And remember not the days of old things, in the small things. Because in those small things, in those small, mediocre, consistent things, your power is there just like it is in the big moments, just like it is in the thundering and the lightning and the earthquake and the, the fog. You're still there, but you're also in a still small voice. When we feel alone in the room, when we're in the altar call, when we're preaching the word of God when we're praying for the miraculous, when we're driving down the street, listening to our favorite apostolic artist, you're there pulling for our hearts. Help us, to fall in love with the small moments as well as the big moments. 
pray blessings on their life, that they can answer their call and that they can fall more in love with you. And we have an urgency in heaven that we're going to reach the lost and make disciples. And we have a reality in hell, knowing the terror of the Lord that we persuade men and women. Pray that we have that biblical concept. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. DJ, has been a wonderful time having you here today. And, man, there's so much in this this interview we just did. Uh, thank you for giving giving us your time. I know you're a busy man, and I hope we can do it again someday. Yeah, I would love it. And, you know, time time is important. It's like money, but you where your treasure is, treasure, which is your, your money, but also time and talent. That's where your heart is. And, you know, that's what God's called us to do is help each other get closer to him. So it was my honor to spend time with you all. Yeah. Well, that concludes this episode of the Faith Prospect.